Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place that I want to thrive in. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-e-changehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 15 with the title, Stress. We don't need to suffer and be victims to our emotions. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Ruth Bogg. I first met Ruth at a regional meeting at the Professional Speaking Association about three years ago. And Ruth describes herself as someone who helps clients to understand why they are suffering from stress and depression to eliminate negative emotions from their lives. I asked Ruth to discover her superpower and describe it. And she said, lip reading. You never know that she's listening. So hello, Ruth. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Joe. I'm fine. I'm actually quite excited today because between within the next four hours, I'm going to become a grandmother for the first time. So um, it's an absolute pleasure to to share that uh, because I'm excited and I'm certainly not stressed. So thank you for inviting me today. It's great to be here. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing that with me and the listeners. That's fantastic. You must be oh, over the moon, over the moon. Yeah. Well, I am, but my son sadly is in Canada. So I can't jump in the car and uh, go and be with them. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit frustrating, but we will get uh, out there as soon as quarantine's over. So I guess it's, uh, you were probably never going to be with them, were you, or you had you planned on being in Canada at this time? Well, we were letting my daughter-in-law's parents go out first, and they've actually gone out today, but they have to quarantine for two weeks before they can see my son and daughter-in-law, and then they have to quarantine for another two weeks when they come back. So we're going to wait for quarantine to finish it. That's far too stressful for me, and I guess for them as well. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you could zoom in the meantime. So you know, now we're living in this world where we can all be online. So you can you could probably have that uh, long distance grand parent experience uh, via oh, mobile and stuff. Yeah, possibly. without without the hugs. Yeah. I'll wait and see. Yeah, virtual hugs all round. Yeah. Virtual hugs. Oh, but that's fantastic news. And uh if if you suddenly have to hang up and disappear, I know what, what's going on. So uh yeah, no worries at all. <laughs> it makes a difference from an Amazon delivery. We have a baby delivery instead. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. That's uh yeah, I'm glad it's being delivered in hospital, not by Amazon. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You could never tell if they dropped it or not, can you? Uh, the parcel that is, not the baby. Uh, so, Ruth, absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I know that we've talked in the past about uh, your passion, which is around stress. So why do we often suffer and become victims to our emotion? Basically, because we don't understand what causes us stress. It's it's one of those things that is present in everyone's life at some point, uh, especially recently with lockdown. People have found it really difficult. So most people can actually identify with some form of stress or anxiety, which doesn't actually mean they have a mental health condition. Stress is an everyday thing. We have all sorts of daily hassles and pressures, things we have to deal with. But if we understand why we're stressed and what triggers our stress and we know how to deal with it, then it's not a problem anymore. My strap line is positive solutions for peace of mind. Because if you have peace of mind, you're not stressed and you can cope with whatever curveball life throws at you. And when I say understanding what causes you stress, let me give you an example. I had a, a young woman who came to see me this week who said she'd had a panic attack 
last Saturday at Chessington World of Adventures of all places. And she couldn't understand why she'd had this panic attack. But when we explored it, all sorts of things have been going on in her life during lockdown. She'd had a bereavement. Um, she was worried about going on to antidepressants because her mother-in-law and both her parents were on antidepressants. So for her, it felt like the norm. But in actual fact, the reasons that they were on antidepressants were justified One of them, her father was a prison officer who had been attacked by an inmate and he had been quite badly hurt and he'd been retired as a result of this. And he was taking um, the justice system to court because it had all been covered up, this attack. So he, to my mind, was quite justified in terms of actually being stressed. And the mother-in-law was Spanish and had been um, enslaved and abused as a child. So it's not surprising they were on antidepressants. So when we explored this, my client understood that she didn't need to be stressed at all. I mean, it's a very simple example. But when we look at our past, we can understand how memories get stored in the subconscious mind. Now, we don't learn about the mind at school. I've no idea why. But the mind is in two parts, the conscious and the subconscious. The conscious is about 5%. The rest of it is the subconscious. So there's no competition. All our memories, thoughts, habits, behavior patterns, emotions, everything we've ever learned and our automatic body system systems are in the subconscious part of our minds. So things become automatic, like learning your tables, repetition and practice becomes automatic. We learn our fives, we move on to our sixes and so on. And learning to drive, we only think about it when we're learning and then it becomes automatic. We don't think about it at all. And this applies to everything that happens to us. So when you have an upsetting memory, it's stored. And then when something happens that might be even vaguely similar, the subconscious goes, oh, I've been here before. I know what to do. And it gives us all those emotions back again, which can be very upsetting. So, for example, If you didn't like public speaking or you were scared of public speaking, when you explore why, it probably goes back to school days when you were asked to stand up and read to the class. You mispronounced a word. Everybody laughed. And that memory is enough on its own to make you scared of public speaking. So it's understanding what's been going on and also about your attitudes, beliefs and values because they too can have an enormous impact on stress levels. I hear what you just said there, Ruth. One thing that's jumping in my head is, is there there a stigma around admitting you have stress? And is that stigma sometimes worse in men or women? Because there's almost like this negativity around People, people use the word, I'm stressed out without really knowing what I'm stressed out means. But when someone talks about depression or stress in the clinical sense, there's almost like this stigma. No, I'm not stressed. I'm, I'm just, I can manage my own stress. I know what I'm doing. Do you find a lot of that goes on? Oh, very much so. It's one of the biggest hurdles that I have to overcome because people don't acknowledge their stress until they're desperate or they're becoming ill. And we all know that prevention is better than cure. But yes, there is an enormous stigma. But also there is a difference between pressure and stress. Pressure goes away. So if you're late for a meeting, you're stuck in traffic, when you get to your destination, that feeling of stress goes away. And I'm saying stress in inverted commas here. But if you are stressed, It's because it builds up and it builds up. We absorb stress like a sponge. And if we don't wring it out, eventually we become ill. 
and there are an enormous amount of stress-related illnesses. And if the illness isn't caused by stress, it can be made worse by stress. And 80% of illnesses are connected to stress. And that includes heart attacks, strokes, cancers, IBS, all sorts of things, which is obviously the extreme end. But it's much better to deal with it as and when you can. Yeah, I, I saw a talk by someone who's developing some technology around HRV, heart rate, heart rate variability. And what they were doing was they were, they were, they were monitoring CEOs in high, high stress situations and showing that their heart rate variability was indicated they were, they, that their respite from stress were so minimal throughout the day. They were even taking their stress into their sleep patterns and they compared that with, between someone with high stress levels and high, high stress job compared with someone who had a low stress occupation or had low stress. And you could just see the difference between the red and the green graphs. Red being where you, your heart rate availability is, is indicating high levels of stress. And some people have 95% of their life, including sleep at this stress level. And some people, obviously in less stress, were, was like 80% not stressed. And I, I guess that's what you're saying is we, we take this stress into all of our lives, not just in that moment, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If you're stressed at work, you take it home. If you're stressed at home, you take it to work. If you've had a bereavement, for example, you can't just park that when you get to the office. And so if we're stressed, we're stressed. And let's, let's be brutal here. Stress kills. And, you know, nobody wants to die before they need to. So it's about taking responsibility for dealing with your stress levels as and when they arise. But first of all, you have to understand what it is that's causing you stress. What are your triggers? And that's so important. So people don't understand why they're stressed. They're never going to make sense out of it. And it's not always the obvious things, is it? It's not just work. It could be financial, something in the back of your mind, uh, some anxieties about a situation, um, or, or self-imposed pressure that you create these these expectations of yourself sometimes that you can't overcome. Absolutely. And also, as I said earlier, it goes back to childhood. I have a set of Russian dolls in my therapy room. And as you know, they all fit into each other. And whatever we learn in childhood, say walking, talking, uh, we don't leave behind when we get to the next stage of life. So whatever our experiences are, we take them with us, good, bad and indifferent. And if you have a, a stress-free life, that's great. But if you have a negative experience, think about um, if you have a bump in your car. For months afterwards, you're very careful at that spot or if you see a similar car that bumped into you because it's all stored in the mind. And unless you know how to deal with it, it stays there. Another way of looking at the Russian dolls, of course, is that if a problem isn't dealt with when it starts, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it almost becomes insurmountable. And that's when the body shuts down and that's when we get stress-related illnesses. Yeah, I mean, we're well aware that mental health is starting to be recognised as uh, one of the biggest killers um, through not just suicide, but also in, 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 in the mental side of oneself, overtaking the physical side. And organizations are now seeing that health and well-being of their, their people, their staff, their teams in this stressful lockdown situation is also critically important. So you must be able to give some insight to people who are trying to help people who are remote working about maybe the stresses they're feeling. Is, is that something you're doing? Given the opportunity, yes. But as we said at the beginning, stress is perceived as a dirty word. You refer mm. to the stigma. And there are healthy working cultures and there are unhealthy working cultures. Unfortunately, most people are within an unhealthy working culture. You can um, Google well-being cultures or companies that have well-being strategies and so and practical opportunities for their workers or their staff, but very, very few will actually come up. It reminds me of many years ago, I'm um, a speaker for the International Stress Management Association, 
And on Stress Awareness Day in November, we offer our services for free. And I went to a national insurance company, I won't name them, and I put up their stress policy on the PowerPoint and none of them had ever seen it because they were part of the problem. They didn't have lunch breaks. They got in early, left late. None of them would leave until their line manager had left. They were part of a negative culture and they couldn't see it because it was staring at them in the face. And it it needs somebody from outside to raise awareness and help them to understand that it doesn't have to be like that. Because we automatically, as human beings, want to move from pain to pleasure. And this is the bit I don't understand, because so many people seem to be quite happy wallowing in pain when they can actually do something about it. I've certainly seen that throughout my career, where... It becomes the culture that you work um, until the last person drops. You're there late at night. You get there early in the morning. There's almost this culture where anybody who's not putting in those hours is seen as weak. And you almost have to absorb this stress. And and then when you're out of at the office, out of the, the working environment, you then take that with you and you take it into your family life and by taking it to your family life, you're then bringing their stress levels up and it can become kind of endemic within your entire family as well. Not, so not just the, the person having the stress at work. They, they, they share that, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, I've had clients who have come to see me because they're stressed at work. And then I've said, well, could you take my card? Could you mention that I do training to your HR? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want them to know I'm stressed. And lots of people, when they go to the doctor, for antidepressants, they don't want stress on their certificate. But again, what they're not realizing that antidepressants are like a blanket when it's cold or a bottle of wine. The problem's still going to be there when you wake up the next morning or you take the blanket off. So it's much better to deal with the root cause and clear it so that you're in control. Yeah. You mentioned there about going to the doctor and not wanting to put stress on the, uh, on the reason. I mean, I, I, in my career, uh, I've seen many people being signed off with stress and it's almost like a giggle in the office. It's like, Oh, did it all get a bit too much for you? There's almost, almost like this disbelief that uh, it was really stressful. I mean, come on, you know, we, we all have stress around here. What's what makes you so special needing to be signed off for it? But. It, and I think that's part of the cycle we've got to break, isn't it? We've got to take it seriously. We can't just laugh it off as something that is a weakness. It's actually something that is taking over somebody and needs to be treated, as you say, not just a bottle of wine or a blanket to make it go away. Absolutely. Um, but my particular strength is teaching self-help techniques because you can try and meditate. You can run around the block and jog. But if you start off unhappy, you're going to finish unhappy. So again, you have to deal with the causes. And when you understand what's going on in your mind and why and how and what, then you can work out what to do about it. And the way I deal with it is not by letting people have 10 counselling sessions because We can talk till the cows come home, but if you don't have any coping strategies, you don't move forward. So I work with three therapies which all work on the subconscious mind. One is hypnosis, which most people have heard about, but they've seen people doing silly things on the television, so they're very wary. But the example I give to everybody is that if I were to put them in hypnosis and ask them to take their clothes off and run up and down the road, they would come out of hypnosis immediately unless they wanted to take their clothes off and run up and down the road. So I think that that illustrates the point quite nicely. And hypnosis is, of course, one of the oldest healing methods known to man. And it feels like dropping off to sleep when the television's on. You know, there's a voice in the background, but you can't really be bothered with it. And it's very relaxing and it can get to the nub and the causes of the stress. So it's a great tool to have. And I offer audios as part of that package. So if it was training, depending on what I was looking at, low self-esteem, low confidence, loss, um, 
childbirth, conception, whatever it is that's causing the person stress. So that's hypnosis. And the second therapy I use is emotional freedom technique, which is better known as tapping. We tap on meridian points, but unlike reflexology, which also works with meridians, we're actually verbally expressing what the feeling, the emotion is. And because we have our feelings and our fingertips with us all the time, whatever arises, it can be dealt with there and then. And the third therapy I use is EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a bit of a mouthful. And that involves eye movement. And it's a very simple technique, which, again, people can use themselves. So it's important to be able to deal with things themselves. And that's quite empowering. So I very rarely see people for more than three sessions on a one-to-one. And obviously in training, I will explain how the mind works and look at stress audits and stress policies in the workplace if they're available. And then there is the opportunity to do workshops for whatever comes up from the stress audit. So it might be time management, for example, that's causing stress. It might be lack of assertion, might be lack of confidence. I mean, that it's such a wide focus on what causes a stress. Because what causes you stress won't cause me stress and, and vice versa. You know, everybody's different and we all have different stresses, different needs, different wants, di- different aspirations. And therefore, everybody needs to understand for themselves. There's no blanket fix for everything. Yeah, I, I, I was just talking now, I'm thinking the word anxiety is popping into my head. Is, it, is are stress and anxiety different? Are they, are they two sides of the same coin? Does one cause the other or are they, they, they're completely different emotions? That's a good question. I would say they're pretty much the same. But anxiety is a recognized mental health condition. Um, stress is almost the umbrella for it. it it's a very, very fine line. Um, because if you're worried or anxious, you're going to be stressed. So it, it's hard to differentiate, to separate the two. So someone has an anxiety attack where they, oh, you see the stereotypical paper bag sort of like trying to calm the breathing down. That, that is, is, is kind of within the stress umbrella. It's, it's something has triggered this anxiety that the brain can't cope with and the, the body almost, almost shutting down to take you out of that situation. That, that's right. But again, it's understanding why. So let's go back to speaking. If you are fearful of speaking to a lot of people, it might be that you are worried about what people will think of you, that you'll make a mistake, that you'll trip up, or a whole remit of, of reasons as to why they're scared, which makes them feel anxious and they get palpitations. But when they understand why they're scared and they deal with it, then they're calm and in control calm and confident, calm and in control. That's where we all want to be. Yeah, I, I often, I've heard from several people that one of the greatest fears we have as a, as a human being is the fear of humiliation, being seen to be less than who we are. And public speaking, you, you are kind of putting yourself out there on stage or up front, and people are then judging you but on not just what you're saying, how you say it, how you look how you move. So there's a whole load of things going on in your head there about body consciousness, about self-worth, self-image, self-expertise, imposter syndrome. So I can imagine that, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big ask for people who are not confident. Very much so. And often in, in the workplace, in teams, you know, some people have certain skill sets, others don't. Some are more ambitious than others, you know, and conflict arises. And that causes stress. And value systems, if in the workplace people are not aware of the vision of the organization, going back to what I said about healthy workplaces, and they don't have joint values, then there's going to be stress. 
Now, I see lots of people who have relationship breakdowns, and nine times out of ten, it's because they have different value systems. What's important to one is not important to the other. And conflicting values cause enormous stress. So do conflicting beliefs. You only have to look at all the wars in the world. All the, the major conflicts, they're caused by different and conflicting beliefs. And they all cause us stress. Completely. I, mean, I often talk myself about, when we're talking about inclusion and belonging in organisations, it's about having clearly defined vision and values for the organisation so that you can then align your own self with those visions and values or not. And it may well be that your visions and values don't align, and that's that's okay as well, in which case this is not necessarily the right place for you. Because I don't believe you can have passion and purpose without having clearly aligned values. And you, you wouldn't be passionate about working for a, a polluting company if you're an environmentalist. There's no way you're going to want to give your all. So it's perfectly valid for people to have different values. And and recognize the fact that this isn't the right place or the right environment. There's no shame in that. It's just recognizing that. And, but many of us hang on to this, don't they? We, we force ourselves into this role that I'll cope on. And that's we, we cover, we mask, we hide. We don't bring our whole selves to work. All these sort of phrases we hear because we're just living in the wrong, in the wrong culture, which is what I think you're saying there. Yes, and, and that can trigger lack of self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, because, again, the, the biggest issue I, I'm confronted with is I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. It doesn't matter what walk of life it is. It's, it's such a common feeling that people feel put down, maybe through childhood, maybe in teenagers, they may have been bullied, might have been a teacher or by parents. But, you know, when we're growing up, if we're told we're stupid, we'll believe it. I believed it. Not that my parents told me I was stupid, but because I was deaf, I believed that I was daft. And it took me over 20 years, more than that, actually, to realize once I got my master's degree that I wasn't quite so daft after all. But I'd grown up believing that. And those negative beliefs can destroy us. They can stop us, hold us right back from achieving our own aspirations. So you mentioned your death. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I appreciate it doesn't define who you are, but it's part of who you are, part of your lived experience. So have you been deaf for most of your life? Did that, when did that uh, occur? Well, I was knocked down by a car when I was three years old. Um, i was with my grandmother for the day in Liverpool. And in the early 50s, there weren't many cars around, but I dropped my teddy bear, ran back for it, and a car found me. And I didn't know at the time, but I'd actually fractured both ears. So the nerves are severed. So I'm severely deaf in one ear and profoundly deaf in the other. The severely um, one has been relatively recent because with age, my hearing's deteriorating further. But it's an invisible disability. You can't see it. I wear hearing aids that are nice and small behind the ear. But when I was a child, I was given a hearing aid and it was the size of a cigarette packet and you had to clip it on your belt or tuck it in your blouse. And I was teased unmercifully. I hated it. And I was um, borderline for the 11 plus, which meant you had to have an interview if you were going to pass to go to grammar school. And I could see the panel now talking about memories and how they affect us. And the, the lady in the middle of the two gentlemen had a hat on. And I, can, I can't see her face. I can just see that blinking hat. And she told me to my face, I couldn't possibly cope with grammar school education because I was deaf. Now, that reinforced my belief that I was deaf and daft. Fortunately, my parents didn't believe it. And they sent me to a private girls grammar school. My mum went out to work to pay for it. Um, but I blew my GCSEs. I only got two out of nine. Well, why wouldn't I? I was daft. You know, I was I was stupid. But I wouldn't wear my hearing aid. So I think I did very well to get two because I must have missed an awful lot. And I couldn't tell you how much education I missed. But I managed to get enough um, exams to go on to teacher training college. And kids shout. So they, I was okay. 
But then I did a diploma in counselling skills and I had some counselling and um, it, it, it changed my life. It really did. So I was able to wear my hearing aids. So now um, I'm in a hearing world. But I would like to correct you on one thing. When you said my superpower was lip reading, you said you don't know what she's listening to. I'm not. That's the whole purpose of lip reading. <laughs> I thought you might be earwigging on conversation because you could see people lip. You could read people's lips from a distance. But so I was wondering if you were doing lip reading earwigging, if you like. Wow. Oh, it's a very useful skill. Yeah. It really is, especially when I did a lot of youth work training. And I used to warn them. I said, look, watch it. I'm a very good lip reader. And they used to test me and they'd sit at the back of the room and I'd join in the conversation from the front of the room and they they couldn't believe that I could actually tune in to such an extent. Yeah. No, it's it's a a superpower. And uh, it's it's like speaking a foreign language when people don't know you're speaking their language. And you can tune into things that you that the people that maybe don't expect you to, but yeah, it's, I appreciate it. It's not a superpower you want to have, but it's a superpower you, you've owned and, and, and grown. So I was, I've been through your bio that you sent when we talked about this earlier, is that you've had uh, a number of phases of your life where you've probably had stress yourself. Um, you, you mentioned about your, your parents and your, your, your child. And there's a lot of things that you've had to cope with as, as a, as a person, as a, as a child, as a, as a parent yourself. Uh, so how did you, if you like, cope with your stress at the time? Well, maybe I ought to explain what it was at first. Um, I'm an only child and my father died very suddenly, very unexpectedly in 1999. And, um, my mother had made it very clear to me that if my dad died first, she wanted to come and live with us. So that meant we had to sell her house and our house to buy a big enough house to accommodate her. Well, that was okay. Um, but then at the same time, and I think it was in a reaction to my father's death, my oldest son developed a chronic fatigue syndrome. So he was doing part-time schooling then going to hospital school um, and had long spells when he couldn't get out of bed. At 14, I was carrying him to the toilet. And at the same time, my mother developed dementia. She had a stroke and then went into dementia. And I, there was no way I could cope with a full-time team working management, senior manager in an education department in a London borough as head of a youth service and be on call for a sick mother who kept escaping and my son. My parents came from Liverpool and my mother would try and get out of the house to walk home. And it was a very, very difficult time. So something had to go. So fortunately, I'd got enough years in with my teaching and my youth work career to take early retirement. So then actually building on my master's in counselling psychology and my diploma in counselling, it was an easy choice for me to explore stress mental health issues because I could work from home and I could be here and I could see see clients as and when it, it worked for me to work around everything. So yes, it was a very stressful time. Um, it was probably the most stressful time in my life, but um, eventually, you know, we learned to cope. But I didn't have the, the skills that I have now, which would have been very useful. Yeah, I'm I just... Again, listen to what you're saying there. And yeah, chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome, yeah, CFS, also known as ME, is a very also misunderstood uh, diagnosis as well, isn't it? People, you probably may have found that there's a lot of um, lack of understanding of, around that at the time. It's only more in more recent years as, 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 as that be kind of understood in a more mature way, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, trauma is, is just, it's unbelievable how post-traumatic stress can affect people. And that, that leads me into, um, as you know, I've just written um, a, my second book, which is called Tackling Tough Times. And for the listeners out there, Jo has very kindly contributed her story to this because tough times are tough. 
sounds really corny, doesn't it? But it's very difficult to overcome tough times without support and help. And we don't realize the effect that they have on us at the time. Oh, well, it happened. So what? It's been part of your life. It becomes your norm. And you don't realize that you can actually make changes. So I've got Joe's story, um, a survivor from the tsunami who uh, we both know who suffered in- incredibly uh, with mental health issues and physical health. Um, we also have somebody who has, I, I go goosey when I think about this. It was um, a woman who, when she was 13, was at her school sports day and she killed her best friend when she was throwing the javelin. The wind caught the javelin. The school hadn't obviously put health and safety measures into place properly. But just imagine living with that. Um, I won't go into all the, the different stories. You, you can buy the book <laughs> when it comes out. Um, but tough times are difficult. But this too will pass is one of the phrases that comes to mind. But when we have sufficient support and help, it does make it easier. Yeah, it's it's a powerful, powerful book you pulled together there. And I, I know both both those two uh, two uh, women you mentioned and the story about the javelin, I've, I've heard that one-to-one with, with her. And it's an incredible story of, of misfortune that has had an impact on her life in, in a very profound way. And, and she's had to uh, live with it and deal with that. And, and, and yeah, read her book and read your book to find out more about that. And it's a, uh, it's a very powerful story. And, uh, I'm immensely proud to, to you ask me to take part and, uh, uh, hopefully, um, any listener out there will, will find that book and uh, we'll share that where they can get all of it in the show notes at the end. Um, so I was going back to stress. This is what we started to talk about stress in the workplace. So you work with organizations. Um, I think we've already said that one of the, one of the first things is to get people to admit they are stressed and that, that's a realization because of stigma, as we talked about, uh, this fear of being seen, judged as being less because you can't cope, uh, showing weakness. And does it affect people at all ages? Is there, a, is there, a, is there a, a typical age? I mean, can a can a five year old child have stress, or is it is it more of an adult thing? No, I see quite a lot of children. Um, children manifest their stress stress behaviorally. They don't know how else to deal with it, so they might not be sleeping, or they because they might be scared of monsters or. They, they might be being bullied or teased at school and they can't cope with it, but they do find it very hard to express. So um, children love tapping, the EFT, which I referred to earlier, but I also give them worry dolls so they can put a worry, tell the worry to their doll and put it under the pillow. And I have audios of Merlin the Magic Monkey and the child is taken to meet Merlin the Magic Monkey in the Magic Forest. And Merlin takes away all the, the worries. And I have yucky bugs, worry bugs, sleepy bugs. So stories that children can identify with. And then the slightly older age range, um, sort of 10 upwards, again, they love tapping because they can do it themselves. And they don't have to admit to their parents what's wrong. They don't have to tell anybody. They can just get on with it. And for them, I've got a Harry Potter audio. So they go to Hogwarts. And this is suitable for sort of year six, seven and upwards, depending on their levels of maturity. So, yes, children and teenagers especially suffer terribly from stress and mental health because teenagers are trying to find their own identity. And as we all know, that can be quite challenging. And if their values are different to those of their parents or their, their peer group, then that's when the trouble starts. And yeah, hence my first book, Tackling Teenage Mental Health. Thank you for that lead in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, we, we've, we've had loads of conversations over the last couple of years at various events and if I'm really, really honest, I never realized that you were there until 
one particular instance, or I never, you may have said it, but I never registered that you were deaf because you, you managed that very well in your life with, with your lit reading, with the way you interact with people. So I think it was only at, at probably last year's conference uh, for the PSA where you, you came up to me afterwards because I did a feature during, during my keynote around how sp- public speakers and trainers should be more inclusive about people who have uh, hearing impairment or are deaf. And uh, and you thanked me. I I didn't associate you with being a a deaf person. Uh, So you obviously have found techniques in your life through lip reading and interacting and a way of of getting on. But I also understand that one of the things that can happen when when you have no hearing, it it, it does cause you to draw into yourself. And I understand one of the the triggers for dementia can also be deafness. So how – do you do you talk to people around that as well? Not not so much, because I I think of my disability as being one of the many hidden disabilities, because there isn't a right stick or a wheelchair or anything to send out that message to say, hey, there's something wrong. And of course, this applies to people with asthma and all sorts of things, diabetes. So I mean great long list isn't there um yeah. in in terms of going into yourself you tend to watch and try and listen more than perhaps another person would i mean somebody said to me once um well you're really rude aren't you and i said well, what do you mean you said well when you talk to me you look me in the eye but when i talk to you you look down at my mouth. So I explained why, but it can be misconstrued. And and also there are so many words in the English language that rhyme. And often I get the totally the wrong end of the stick. I can remember being at a social event um, and it was a, a formal birthday party and I was sat next to a young woman. And as you do, you ask the question, what do you do? And I swear to this day, she said she was a lap dancer, but she wasn't. She was a tap dancer, but it's a conversation stopper. And sometimes it can be very embarrassing. And and also equally when people uh, repeat things, if they mumble and I have to ask them more than once, it starts to get embarrassing. And then they might say, are you deaf or something? And when I say, yes, actually I am. I feel embarrassed because they're cringing. And it, it's, it's one of those things that is, it's quite, it can be quite challenging. But, you know, I have no choice. This, this is me and, and that's it, really. So I, I just deal with it as and when. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, I'm a selective hearer. So I, I often drift off in my mind when people are talking to me and, and I don't hear, but that's, that's more down to my lack of attention. So it's, uh, I have to practice active listening. Otherwise I, I, I my mind's off the ferry somewhere. And, uh, but, uh, no, it's, it, I think as you say, it's a hidden disability and, and in the workplace, we don't often consider people with these hidden disabilities and stresses in their anxiety, uh, limiting beliefs, imposter syndrome, as well as the, the physical um, disabilities, such as hearing or sight or whatever. And you say you don't have a white stick, you don't have a little flag that says, move, move out the way, I'm deaf, please. But there are a whole lot of challenges around a lot of visual, audible cues. You know, you hear a train coming, you hear a car coming, you hear a fire alarm, and people are going to be mindful of the fact that you may not be able to respond to those cues in the same way everybody else can. No, that's that's very true. I, I recall I was in uh, Washington um, in a hotel and I was I was on my own and the fire alarm went off and I was totally unaware because once my hearing aids are out, that's it. I don't hear very much at all. And it was only the flashing light that alerted me eventually. And when I put my hearing aids in, of course, there were sirens and goodness knows what. It was a false alarm, but it made me realise when I was the last person out of the building, <laughs> that perhaps I was a bit more vulnerable than I, I'd realised. But um, yes, it, it, it is. Um, it can be quite challenging. I mean, my husband said, "Watch or listen." Or like, I don't like going out on my bike. I've tried to during lockdown, but I can't hear the cars coming up behind me. And 
It's, it's things like that. But, you know, you adjust and adapt. Mm. Do, you, do you struggle with uh, phone calls or, or does your, your hearing aids work okay with your phone? Oh, thank you. That's a challenge at the moment. I've just bought two new phones um, because for some reason the hearing aids that I have are not compatible with my phones. So I'm running to answer the phone, taking my hearing aid out, putting the phone on boost because otherwise I get feedback. So, <laughs> yes, it can be very frustrating. So text is a good way to contact me because I will reply to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I presume Zoom calls and, and, and where you have some video so you can lip read like, like we're doing now, we're, we're, we're doing this with Zoom. So you can see my, my lips move as well, even though there's sometimes a bit of a lag, but you, at least you've got the visual. Yes, but of course, in this age of face masks, it's an absolute nightmare. I don't like wearing one myself, but because I don't know what people are saying, unless I'm familiar with their voice, which when you go shopping is highly unlikely. And asking people to repeat themselves is difficult. And when I say that, people don't quite understand. So we'll get the Google app, which is the transcribe, but it's not what I'm saying because they can hear me. It's what they're saying. So I can't ask somebody, excuse me, hold on a minute, get out Google Transcribe or take your mask down so I can hear you. Um, never mind. I'll just so have to still, get my husband to do all the shopping. <laughs> so there's lots of education to do still on, on not only stress, but on other hidden disabilities. And I, I guess in the workplace, we get so caught up in our own lives, don't we? We get so caught up with what we're about a sense of self, what we've got to do. We often forget about other people's needs, and that, I guess, also contributes to stress. Yes, it does. And I'm aware that I'm often tense because I'm straining to listen. So on the television, for example, now, I very rarely watch anything that doesn't have subtitles. But it's too stressful. I'm too tense, straining to however loud it is, if the people on the TV are not facing me or they're not speaking clearly, then I've, I've had it. I've lost it. And the same with plays. Musicals are all right because I don't need to know the words, but plays are very difficult to follow. I've only got a very limited experience of hearing loss. Um, probably about 10, 12 years ago, I developed, I, what the doctors believe I had a virus or an infection in my ears and my hearing became very, very impaired for probably about six to eight weeks while the virus infection cleared up. And I, I suddenly realized how vulnerable I was. I couldn't hear things. I, 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 my family laughed at me having the subtitles on the telly. Uh, I couldn't, people had to tap me on the shoulder if they're speaking to me. I, I, I just was unaware of my surroundings. And that was a, a bit of a wake up call because I, I'd never experienced anything like that. So whilst I, I, I cannot know what it's like to be you. I, I've got a little bit of insight as to what it would be like if it was like that for me all the time. And I, I was, I was fortunate that one day I woke up and, I, and my hearing was completely back to normal. It, like one day it was, it was bad. One day it was perfect again. And it was a, a remarkable, uh, remarkable experience to, to have had. But no, I mean, to, to understand, to have that small insight on someone with, with, a, with a deafness or hearing loss is, is quite incredible. And, and also, as, you know, talking about going back to stress, which is the title of this, I, I've been, I mean, one of the reasons you, you asked me to contribute to the book is I've had a period of my life where I've held things inside and I've developed my own stress and it, it impacted my family, it impacted myself, it impacted my well-being. And it leads you sometimes to be a, a, not a nice person and you, you can't do anything about it. It's, it's, it's like somebody else is taking control of your mouth or your brain and you don't want to be short, sharp or, or, or moody, but you just can't, you can't do anything about it, can you? And that's, that's how sometimes stress manifests itself. Yeah. Because what, what the mind suppresses, the body expresses. So if you are stressed, then you might have a tight chest or a tight throat, or you might be shaky. 
churning stomach or you might be irritable, your behavior might change because it's, it's locked in there and it's, it needs to be released so that the mind and body are calm together. And people forget about the mind body connection. The mind body connection is so important. And unfortunately, I blame the NHS for this because in 1948, when it was created, they were talking about physical well-being, physical health and mental health has got left behind. And now I think mental health, well, we know the connection mental health is absolutely key and we need to do something about it. Yeah, I. I work with my local interest trust on, in the in the community engagement uh, volunteer scheme, and we were talking about this the other day about uh, the lack of resources in mental health and how it's the underfunded segment of the NHS still, and there's a lot of pushback. And I, and I think with COVID, with lockdown, there's been a greater awareness of the need to look at people holistically, not just physically, but also the, the, the mental side, because poor mental health exacerbates physical problems and it can actually by by, by boosting those mental health they can almost cure themselves or be more positive about their outlook and that's a skill that uh, and we talk about bedside manner we talk about the, the doctors showing more empathy and, and, and giving more time for people and that's all part of rebuilding people's mental health isn't it yes it is but sadly awareness does not equate to action and doctors bless them only have 10 minutes per client so they they can't listen. They haven't got the time. And in their defense, um, they don't have the skills to help people to move forward themselves. They don't have time to train them how to deal with things. Um, and it's, it's very, very sad. Um, and I'm not sure that the awareness raising from this pandemic will actually result in some action because we've been promised um, Oh, I can't remember who the minister was, but last year they were going to put something thir- like 30 million into mental health. Um, but what does that mean? Are they going to train more counsellors, mental health practitioners? If so, why are CAMs, the Children and um, Adolescent Mental Health Services waiting lists, still six, eight, nine months? I mean, teenagers are committing suicide because they can't see anybody. And they're embarrassed. They're ashamed. It, I mean, it's it's really, really tragic. Mm, I don't know for sure. Do you think the media could help more? I mean, we see um, drama series on TV like EastEnders and Casualty, which are very popular. They, they've recently done uh, some high-profile characters with deaf who are deaf, and the impact they're having. And they're running a story outline, I think with Casualty at the moment on a deaf doctor and how they're coping. Do you think the media is doing enough around stress and mental health? Uh, or are we just, are we still a long way from showing positive action in terms of mental health in the media? I think the, the media and, and the soaps are absolutely brilliant at raising awareness of issues like teenage pregnancy, domestic abuse, you know, all the sort of things that they, they actually tackle, but they're not very good at saying, well, this is what you can do if it's happening to you. And I think the BBC and, and ITV have a helpline at the end of these programs sometimes when things are a bit distressing. But it would be interesting to see how many people actually go on these helplines. I mean, we know that calls to childline have absolutely rocketed during this pandemic because families aren't used to being together all this time. And if you haven't got a garden, you've got no means of escape, then you are going to get on top of each other. And it, and it needs some very, very special parents to keep the peace throughout um, family life. And it's um, it's so divorced from our, I say normality, whatever that, what it used to be, that um, it does cause a lot of stress in homes. So in answer to your question, no, I don't think the media is doing enough, but I don't think the media actually knows what to do. Okay, so we need people to sort of follow up on the what next. So so people like yourself, bringing that into the communities, bringing that into the workplace to say, right, now now you have the awareness. This is is the next step. This is the action. So you you talked about this um, 
a stress stress audit you do. And so you would go in and you would talk to various people. You would uh, understand the, the stress profile of the organization and then come up with that tangible action plan as a, as a result. Is that right? Yes, yes, because... It isn't until you actually start ticking boxes. Oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, oh, yes. No, that you realize the relevance of a stress audit. And it's just a, a tick box questionnaire. I mean, it takes five minutes to do. Um, like, do you take work home with you, for example? That might be one of the questions. And you say, oh, gosh, yes, I do. And no, I don't work my contracted hours. And no, I don't see my boss regularly or whatever it is. And, and then it's graded so they can work out. Uh, and over a certain percentage, then it's like, this is the red area, do something about it, or amber, be careful, and green, you're chilled. Because we have different personality types. I mean, that's a very obvious statement, but we have personality A, who tend to get very stressed very quickly. They're the ones who are hyper and agitated, and they're fast moving, and they can't sit still, and they're more likely to get stressed than personality B, who take things in their stride, they speak more slowly, they're much more chilled. Uh, they're far less likely to become ill in the workplace. So again, it's, it comes back to understanding. I've lost the thread of the question. Sorry. <laughs> it was just uh, the, the impact of uh, the work you do. I mean, there's, a, there's obviously a cost to sickness and absence in, in organizations. I mean, do you have any off the top of your head stats on the number of days lost we're losing through stress or mental health-related illness? Well, let's just say before lockdown, it was something like um, uh, 12 billion pounds lost to stress but per person it's a thousand and thirty five pounds so if for example you have um, a company that's got twenty thousand workers that's over twenty thousand pounds that you're losing in stress-related sickness absence and of course you've also got presenteeism when people go to work when they shouldn't be really there then they're, they're not well enough, but they're scared to go off sick in case they lose their job, but they're not working to their full potential. So that loses the company money as well. But it's the, the statistics show that for every pound invested in some form of stress management training, then it's a three pound return. So if a company has well-being days or they have company yoga sessions or they do something, then happy people, happy places. If you're happy at work, you're going to be far more productive. If you feel valued and appreciated, your work is recognized and you're supported, then you're going to be far more productive. If the opposite is in place, that you're abused verbally or physically and you're not happy and you don't enjoy your work, not everyone can enjoy their work, but if you feel appreciated, or sorry, if you don't feel appreciated, you're not going to want to do it. You're not going to work or want to work hard. So it's a no-brainer really, isn't it? And it nobody, is a no-brainer. Yeah. And nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time at work. <laughs> For sure. For sure they don't. Um, yes, we'll all have uh, those regrets of things we should have done and could have done. And staying later at work was not one of them. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you, Ruth. That's a great moment to finish on. Um, I'm sure uh, the listener, I'm sure there's one listener out there who's, uh, who's been following along with this, will agree there's much to ponder and take inspiration from. So how can uh, our listeners get in touch with you? Well, bearing in mind what I said about using the telephone, the best way is through email, um, which is ruth at stressworks.co.uk. And stressworks is all one word with an X on the end. It's not KS, it's W-O-R-X.co.uk. Please feel free to look at my website. There is a free relaxation audio on there and also an explanation of how the mind works. So that might help your listeners to understand why they're perhaps stressed. Excellent. So get in touch with you. Look at your website 
and maybe maybe download the uh, the stress audio and uh, de-stressing audio and just to see if it'll help you relax. Brilliant. Well, thank you for listeners for tuning in and uh, getting this far. Uh, please do subscribe uh, to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends, tell your colleagues, get them to subscribe and, and listen to. I've got a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you will all be inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And also remember, if you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. And I always welcome feedback and suggestions to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. Tell me about what you want to hear on future shows or how we can improve. So my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it has been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Bye.